Good morning. Okay, if you were a kid bound for kids' life, Mr. JR, Pastor JR is back here. He's ready to, to lead you and head out with you. So, right this way. Well, good morning. Anybody else love an allergy season? Um, <laughs> my computer popped up and just said, warning, pollen. And I said, yeah, that's, that sounds about right right now. Um, so, but we're glad to be together, glad to be with you. Um, I have this tendency, um, amongst many of my tendencies, I have this tendency to get in over my head, um, to take on jobs that I'm not really uh, trained to do, um, I don't have the skills for, um, and, um, and, 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 and to take them on in ways where I just, I just rush headlong into them and then I, I, I create a mess that I have to clean up later. Um, several years ago, this is, if you've been around with us, this, this is not new. I, I've shared about this before. Several years ago, I talked about a broken door in our house. We had a, a screen door on our back porch. Our dog essentially had, like, bashed through it and chasing whatever was in the yard at that moment. Um, and, and that the door was broken, and it had been broken for some time, and I'd just been patching it together. It had duct tape and all kinds of stuff on it. Um, but I... Um, so I decided, like, okay, it's time to, it's time to replace the door. The door's getting re- replaced and fixed, and it's all good. Um, I felt like I've got the skills here. I can do this. This is not that hard, okay? So um, I, I do my thing. I get my measurements with my tape measure, and it all seems to be working out. It was, unfortunately, like a custom size, so it wasn't one I could just walk into the big box store and, and, and take care of. Um, so, um, so I go, and I get it all measured out. And um, I go to the, the, the Home Depot, and I tell them my size, and my wife comes along, and we look at, at the different options, and we pick one out that we like. It's great. Um, takes quite a while. This was, um, this was you know, supply chain um, stuff. So it took a while to get the door in the, in the store. We get it, bring it home. Go up, and, and I, I, I hang the hinges, and it's all working out, and it's all up, and man, does it look nice. It is a beautiful white door with a big window. It kind of, I'm into like, like symmetry. And so like we have these tall windows there and it just matches and everything's great. And then the very last move and I go to close it and there's like, like a half inch gap and it won't latch. Right. Um, probably, probably could have measured it a, another time or two. Realize so, so I take the door down, put it aside. I have to go back to the store and buy another piece of wood. Okay, so I buy a piece of wood that I then attach to one side and put in there. And now I've mounted the door again to the new piece of wood that just extended the old one just a little bit and put it up there. And wouldn't you know it, it still doesn't latch. It's, it's so close now. Like, it's close enough that I can lock it, and it locks, and that keeps it shut, but the latch itself doesn't latch. And then I quit. <laughs> I said, if I, can, if I can turn the thing and lock it, we're good. I'm done now, which is, a, which is great until the other day when my wife and I were out on the back porch grilling, and, um, and one of our kids, who will remain nameless, um, we're all in the habit now of locking the door. So he just went through the door and went inside and locked it, and off he went. And we're just standing on the back porch trying to get inside, and we're locked out of the house. Um, 
So that's, that's, that's par for the course in our, in our place. So, but, but we have, I have this tendency, I think we do this thing where we, we tend to like get into stuff, okay? And maybe you're better off at this than I am. Maybe you're the one with all the schematics and all the plans. You're an engineer or whatever. I'm not. Um, and, and, but but, but I, I know in certain areas of our life, we do that same thing, right? Where we get into it, we just go into it making assumptions. We get into it thinking we've got it all down or we, we have the equipment that we need or whatever. And then once we get into it or, and, and, and we've made a mess, we start to realize I need more than I have right now. Like on the front end, on the front end, if I had thought about this better, if I had planned for this better, if I had, if I had really processed where we were headed that we'd, I'd be in a better place. And we're going to, so we're starting a new series today, as Brett mentioned, we're starting a new series today that's kind of like that. Because we started, we're, we're doing this series because we believe that we as humans have a tendency. And we as followers of, of Jesus have this same tendency. And that tendency is, is that we tend to like move into our life and then stuff happens and then we go, Okay, now what? Jesus, come and you know take the wheel, right? Jesus, come and help me, and he does, right? Like Jesus comes in and, into the storms of our life, and he calms some of those storms. Sometimes he comes in the storm of our life, and he goes like, "No, this one's going to be a shipwreck, but I'm going to get you to shore." Like sometimes that's life, but our what we're talking about here, what we're going to talk about all summer, is the idea that we tend to think of of, of our lives in a, from a certain orientation which is we go first, and then we bring Jesus along with us later. And so we, we might say, like, like, marriage and Jesus, or money and Jesus. And what we want to do this summer is we want to just take that and turn it around and say, but what if? What if we start with Jesus? What if we start with Jesus and say, Jesus first, Jesus first. And then all these things in life, he's going to lead us into them rather than we go into them and then try to bring him in in the midst, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We want to look at him first and, and live from that point. And so we're going to jump in today with a, an early story in the, the life of Jesus in the Gospels and talk about Jesus and temptation. Jesus and temptation because here's what tends to happen in life. We tend to go about our life and stuff comes up we encounter things, and then once we've encountered them, we start to go, well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? But we want to ask today, okay, what, is what, like, what does Jesus say about temptation? How, does, how did Jesus handle temptation? And, it's, and I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to play right into what we're talking about here. Now, here's the thing about Jesus, and, and the author of Hebrews talks about this quite a bit, okay? The author of Hebrews talks about this quite a bit about the, the reality that we have, that in Jesus, we have someone who entered into temptation, okay? We have a God who was tempted. Look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says, therefore, he, he being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, like, like those around him in every way, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That's a really fancy theological word for payment, to make payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted, okay? Jesus himself was tempted, so he's able to help those who are being tempted. A couple chapters later, the other Hebrew says it again. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet he was without sin. Now, that's, that in and of itself is fascinating. We, God came to earth and was tempted in his flesh, was tempted just like we are, just like we are. But verse 16 is the, like the why that's so awesome. So let us in confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to him. And we receive his mercy and we find something that's missing. Find grace. So let us draw near because, because Jesus has been where we are. He knows. It's not that he just cognitively can, can, can understand. He, from an experiential sense, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted. So we have a Savior. We have one who's gone before us into temptation. And so if we want to be prepared in our lives for the temptation that will invariably come to us, where better to look than Jesus? But before we go, one more thought on this. The author of James says it this way. He says, let no one say when they're being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. He's on a, on a journey here, but he's saying, it's not God. God doesn't, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself doesn't tempt. Okay, so, so temptation, while it's part, of, it's part of the plan, it's part of what happens, it's not God who tempts. But then verse 14, we talk about temptation, just to set the table for what we're talking about. Verse 14, the, the, the bottom part of that, but, but each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. Okay, what is temptation? What is temptation? Well, temptation is our desire with a lure in front of it, Right? Like, the, 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 we're, we're kind of, in some ways, we're fish, just in the water. And there's, a, there's something there that looks tempting and tantalizing to us, okay? We have a desire for it. That's what makes temptation not just possible, but likely. Because we go through life and we have desires. We have desires. And, and in having those desires met, we're going to encounter temptation. But just like the fish, as we're going to see here, there's a hook, right? The Lord has a hook. So let's, let's take a look at Jesus' temptation. If you have a Bible, again, it'll, be, it'll always be up on the screen for you, but if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to go. Uh, the temptation of Jesus is recorded in, in uh, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, although Mark's is very short. Matthew and Luke have a very similar, um, similar look at the temptation of Jesus. And, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. And it's a story of Jesus' temptation, Jesus being tempted. So we want to look at it piece by piece. And, and in some ways, there's going to be things about the temptation of Jesus that are very unique to Jesus. Okay? They're going to be very unique to Jesus. Someone uh, in our teaching team shared with us uh, uh, that they had read from, from Matthew Henry, who was an, an old school commentator uh, on the scriptures, who said that uh, the temptation of Jesus is, is it's like a pirate ship, right? Like you always... The reason Jesus' temptation is so important is because, like, the pirate always attacks the ship with the most loot, right? Um, Jesus, the temptation of Jesus is so important because there was so much at stake, okay? There was so much at stake in Jesus' temptation. And so we're going to look at Jesus' temptation because, remember, this series is Jesus and. So when we're going to, we want to look at what Jesus in this circumstance, in this, in, in this occasion of his temptation, and then from that begin to ask the questions about, okay, now us, Okay, now us. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit in, in, our, in, in our body over the last month. The month of May was spent on this. Jesus was, this, what we're about to read, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
He returned from the Jordan, was led, this is returned from his baptism, and was led by the Spirit. It was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So Jesus is he's, he's baptized, the Spirit, he's full of the Spirit, and he goes out into the wilderness. Okay? He's not being tempted by God, but the Spirit of God is with him, leading him. Verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The, the word devil, um, uh, distinct from the name Satan, but the word devil really means the tempter. He's being tempted by the tempter. Okay? And he ate nothing during these days. 40 days, he ate nothing. The, Matthew's gospel, actually, when it tells the story, actually uses the word fast. He, was, he fasted for 40 days. The word fast carries with it the idea that this was an intentional commitment that Jesus had made to take no food for those 40 days. Okay? Luke doesn't say it that emphatically, but Matthew does. And one of the most obvious verses and sentences in the Bible. Okay? And when they were ended, the 40 days, he was hungry. Okay? When they were ended, he was hungry. Uh, remember what it said in James about desire, temptation and desire. So then verse 3, the devil said to him, the tempter said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone, there's stone in the wilderness, to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay? Man shall not live by bread alone. Fascinating, right? Because the first thing the devil says to him is, if you are. Okay? If you are. Now, who knew who Jesus was better than the devil? I mean, maybe, maybe God the Father himself, the Spirit, like, but if you are the Son of God. More about that in a minute, okay? Or a few minutes. But command this stone to become bread. Now, if you're like me, you look at this and you go like, What's the big deal? Bread is delicious, right? Particularly certain kinds. You're hungry? What's the big deal with having a little bread? Okay? We have needs. Those needs need to be met. Bread is a legitimate way to meet the needs of our body. Okay? But it's important to understand or it's important to see in Jesus' response what the temptation was. At least as Jesus understood the temptation and responded to, to, to the devil. Okay? Because Jesus responds by saying, man shall not live by bread alone. And we may hear that quoted in, in, in different places, but it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but it goes on to say, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, in Matthew's account, Matthew's account, he actually puts that in there. Matthew puts the whole thing. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is an interesting point because there's there's so much context tied up into this. In the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel were getting ready. They were preparing themselves to enter the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And and they they were going to be given a task and... Um, they were not going to complete that task as God had given it to them. Um, but, but you see the 40 years of the children of Israel, you see the 40 days that Jesus is tempted and hungry, and the, there's clearly like uh, something going on here. That those th- two, these two things are put in parallel with one another. And so Jesus, this moment where Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, is meant for the reader to, to think back to the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy chapter 8 occurs at the end of the, those wilderness wanderings, as does this occurs, as, as, the, as Luke tells us, at the end of this, he was hungry. Like, this is at the end of his temptation. This is near the end. Okay? And what Deuteronomy chapter 8 is saying, it's saying that, 
that once you like get into the promised land, once you go in there, once you begin to take it, it's going to be really tempting to rely on your own ability to sustain your life. You're going to become farmers. You're going to grow crops. You're going to do all kinds of cool things. And when you get there, it's going to be really enticing to think that it's you who's sustaining your life. And that's why the word of the Lord comes to Israel in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and says, you don't live by bread alone. Remember, they've been given manna. God had fed them. And even in God's feeding of them and the miraculous bread that appeared for them to, to sustain them, even during that, it would be easy to think that it was the bread sustaining them. But, but what, it goes, what it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is that it's God who sustains life. It's God who sustains life. So what's the big deal with turning some stones into bread? Well, maybe nothing. Unless, unless there's a temptation to believe that I'm responsible for meeting my own needs. I'm responsible for sustaining my life. I'm the one who's, who determines whether or not I live or die. I'm the one who's in charge. I can do this. Now, like, bread for, for us, 21st century generally middle-class folk, like, we don't worry about where our bread comes from too much, okay? Generally speaking. But we certainly have things that we rely on to sustain us, that we believe we can put together to sustain us. And chiefly amongst them, chief amongst them, is money, right? We believe, it's sort of inherently, we believe that it's up to us to provide like the things of life that sustain us through our money. And um, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Timothy about this very issue. Look at what he says. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, a, that's great. Like we need to stitch that on pillows and put them on our couches, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So, so living, living on a path of godliness and being content, that's like, that's, that's richness. That's, that's a rich life. But he says more. Verse 7 so for, says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Like, here's the deal. Like, right? Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're clothed and you're fed, be content. Be content. But that's not necessarily where we live. And, and we, Paul's writing here to Timothy, knows even more. He says, but, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Or those who desire to make their own bread, bring home the bacon, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or many, many jabs, many pricks have, been, have gone in. You catch this? You see, there's, there's contentment, there's... There's, there's, I'm clothed and I'm fed and God has given, has met my needs. And then there's a striving to take care of my needs on my own, to, to see to it that, that like I can get more. I can be more secure. If I, have, if I have more, that's going to take care of me. That's going to that's gonna sustain my life. But Paul writes and he says, be careful. This is, this is temp the temptation to, to want to do that, to, the temptation for more is a serious temptation. 
It plunges people into ruin. It's not, he says, it's not a little thing. It's not like, it's not like being greedy for more is like this tiny little thing. That, you know, just, it's just like a, like, a, like a blip on the radar. This is, it plunges people into ruin. It destroys. I think we, big picture, we, culture, we believe that we've been able, we've sort of like mastered consumerism. Like we've tamed it. But it's, it's, not, it's not contained. We, we believe that through our hard work, maybe we can't turn stones into, into bread specifically in the miraculous way Jesus was tempted to, but we believe that through our hard work, we can start with nothing and we can be, have everything. We can be rich. We can sustain ourselves. And that's a very real temptation for us. That's a very real temptation for us. We're where Jesus was tempted, even though, even though, again, we may not have the miraculous power that Jesus was tempted with in that moment, we're tempted with the same root idea. Who sustains our life? Who sustains us? And Jesus knew and understood that life was not sustained by bread. Life is sustained by the life of God. Keep reading Luke chapter 4. It tells us more. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all the authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Okay? So here's the second thing that Jesus is tempted with. Okay? The second thing that Jesus was tempted with. And in some ways, this one seems just as outrageous. Like, are you kidding me? Jesus is going to worship the devil. Okay? Like, if, this, this seems like, like if you're the, the tempter, the devil, this seems like, like a recipe for failure. Yeah, tempt, tempt uh, like, Jesus, the Lord of all things, with, like, power over all the kingdoms of, of the world. But there's something in it, and Jesus is clearly unique. Let's see, Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and with him only shall you serve. So Jesus takes that temptation and says, like, no, 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 no. I, I, very clearly, we don't, I can't, I, we worship no one but the Lord our God, okay, him alone. The response is simple in, in, in many ways because there's no subtlety in the temptation. But it's a real temptation nonetheless, right? It's a real temptation nonetheless. While Jesus was unique, um, it, it, his circumstances at his point in time are, not un, are, are pretty common amongst, amongst many people, okay? Think about where Jesus was in that moment in time. Jesus had, had gone through this time of temptation. He was full of the Spirit. He'd done everything right. He was hungry and still saying no to, to, to the, the easy path of the bread that he could, have, he could have miraculously fed himself. He was walking with God. He was full of the Spirit. And he was offered something in that. There was an offer to him. You can have, in this moment, there is, look, Jesus, you win. You are, you're, you, you're like un, unfallible. You can't go wrong. And I'm going to give you the power to command and rule all the kingdoms of this world. Now, how often, how often do we think in, to ourselves, how often do we think if only I was in charge, if only I was in charge, I could, things would be better, okay? Maybe it's not all the kingdoms of the world, Maybe it's just the little kingdom in which you live. Maybe it's, maybe it's in, in your work environment, you would say, gosh, if only I had more authority to make up 
the changes. Maybe it's at school. Gosh, if that teacher wasn't so, you know, dumb, maybe if they would just do, do things the, a better way if I were, okay? Maybe it's in your family. No one listens to me. They would just listen to me. What if you were offered the opportunity to enact all of the good and positive things that you know are winning strategies? In a moment, you could make it happen. Do I even get into the way we think about our political world at this point in time? If I could just wave my political wand, all the problems in our society would go away. And now it's offered to you. Okay? And now it's offered to you. Now imagine that legitimately, legitimately, it's not just... It's not just something that you're supposing as a, as a fallible human being. You are Jesus, who knows what is best for all the kingdoms of the world. Wouldn't it even, couldn't you even say this? Wouldn't it even be justified and righteous to say, I'm Jesus, I can lead perfectly. I know I can. You see all the suffering that's going on around, around these kingdoms that he's presented with? Jesus could have fixed it. Right then and there. Would have been done. He could have taken care of it. He could have led perfectly. He could have been, he could have been the ideal perfect earthly king. Right? He was good and righteous. Him taking that offer and solving those problems would have been justified. At least we think it would be. But there's more to say about this. Look at more New Testament here. Paul writes to, to church in Thessalonica, again, that we looked at as a body not too long ago. And Paul writes this, and he says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were, we were to suffer affliction. This is affliction, struggle, okay, trial. But affliction is particularly suffering for doing right. Remember where Jesus was in his temptation? He'd done right. He'd been good. He'd, he'd, he'd kept his, his fast like he'd done the right things. You're going to suffer for affliction just as, it, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I, Paul says, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, there's our word again, the tempter had tempted you and your labor would be in vain. Okay, catch this. Catch this. At what, at what time are we often vulnerable to temptation? I think what's going on here in, in Jesus and the temptation of Jesus here. There's certain things about Jesus' situation that make, him, that, make it, that make him weak. His hunger makes him weak. He's in the wilderness. He's tired. Like, those things. But at the same time, and how often in our thinking do we, do we want to say, I've stood up for this long enough. It's time that I get to do what I deserve or what I've earned. And in those moments, temptation can be particularly poignant, right? I deserve being in charge. I deserve being in control. I deserve what... Anything that anyone's going to give to me at this point because I've done it right. Go back to some of those places. In our family life, how often do you think you deserve to set the rules because you've been doing it right? In your workplace, how often do you think I deserve this because I've put in X number of years and I've been a faithful and loyal employee in the institution? I deserve this. That's a very tantalizing temptation. The, the temptation of justification. Keep moving. Luke 4. Back to Luke 4. Verse 9. And he, this is the devil, the tempter, and he. And he took him, he took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, 
If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And, and on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The third temptation is this, okay? Third temptation is this. And again, to, to, to us, uh, without context, it may not sound like, like, what in the world? Throw yourself off the temple and you're going to get caught and you're not going to strike your heel. But here's the deal. Um, the devil himself, it's, this is fascinating to me because Jesus has used scripture to, to push back against the temptation of the devil to this point. And now the, the devil, the tempter, quotes scripture himself. He quotes from Psalm 91. It's, it, is, it, was, it was read at this point in time in, in Jesus' life in the first century. It was read as a prophetic psalm about the Messiah of Israel. The one who was coming, who was going to rescue Israel from all of its distress. The good and perfect coming king. It was Psalm 91. And in it, it says the things that Satan, or that, I'm sorry, that the devil offers there. That, that, that he will command his angels to guard you, and then in verse 11, uh, they will bear you up lest you strike your, you're like, you're not, you're, you're not going to get hurt by this. So, so here's the temptation. Here's the temptation. Jesus is at the pinnacle of the temple, and all of the people down below in the temple would be like the religious folks. They know Psalm 91. They know that if they see a body hurtling towards, towards the ground there in the Temple Mount, and that body is caught by angels, this is the Messiah promised in Psalm 91. Quick, let's get him a crown and a sword and get rid of Rome. Get rid of the Herods. Get rid of all the, the people causing us distress. Crown him as king. Now, here's the truth about Jesus. You ready? Jesus is the king. He is the one who, in the earlier temptation, he is the one who gave the devil the authority to grant that, that wish to anyone that, that the devil wanted to grant it to, to give power to. Jesus had all of this. Not only that, but Jesus was going, this was going to be realized in the resurrection in, in the coming kingdom of Jesus. It's all going to happen. He is going to be that king. He will have a sword. He will slay his enemies. But the temptation here is the temptation to sort of shortcut, right? To shortcut. Because in order for Jesus to, to become the promised and coming king, what was going to have to happen for Jesus? He was going to suffer. He was going to die. His closest friends, the people that, he, that he'd invested in, that he discipled, were going to betray him. He didn't get to that destination without going through the suffering and the pain. And so we find in this third temptation that it's the temptation of the shortcut. It's the temptation of the shortcut. And where do we see, well, and sorry, at the end of this, verse 13, the, the devil leaves him. Okay, so Jesus, these three temptations, and Luke writes, as it doesn't matter, the devil, the devil left Jesus. And what do we see in this? Where do we see, I, I think we see shortcuts all over the place. Okay, I think we see shortcuts all over the place in our temptations. Let me give you just one, one case. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that because, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. It's not easy. You have to work to have a good and strong and healthy marriage. There's, there's, there's energy that has to go into it. I have to sacrifice. Not to the level that Jesus did, but in the model of Jesus, that's what we have to do. But you see, the temptation to sexual immorality tries to shortcut 
the work. So Paul says, no, this is, our, our sexual lives were intended for husbands and wives. We're intended for husbands and wives. And it's good to be married for that reason, he says. It's good to be married. Because the temptation to sexual immorality is a temptation to shortcut the work of marriage. To just, to just see yourself as, 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 as intended for pleasure and nothing else. And to, 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 to have your, your desires met through any means that you feel. And we have a, listen, we talk about temptation in our culture today. That's, that's, that is a significant temptation for us, is it not? To have our desires met through some means other than the covenant boundary of marriage. I, and and who, who's to know, right? Who cares? It's just me and my life. We're tempted by the shortcut all the time. We're tempted in the same way that Jesus was tempted. There's the cultural messaging around our, our bodies and our sexuality, but there's also just that, the, the, the personal draw that we might feel towards, towards pornography or, or, or having our emotional desires met through some other means. It's just the temptation to pleasure without the loving sacrifice. And that's really, in essence, what Jesus was tempted with. You get to be king without making the sacrifice. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? All right, so we need to wrap up. What do we do with this, okay? How do we, when we look at, when we think about temptation, what do we do with this? I just want to propose a few thoughts. The first is that temptation always, always presents you with like some cost, right? Like this is simple. Temptation is, is offering you some sort of cost or some sort of trade. There's a cost or there's a trade, okay? So, so for Jesus, he was, the cost that, that he was being presented with was, was tremendous for all of the world. If Jesus pays the price to give in to the temptation, then the perfect sinless sacrifice for our sins goes unmet. It's a big deal. It's a huge cost. But for us, we see the cost as well. We saw in the passage, like, like greed leads to all kinds of forms of destruction and ruin. There's a cost. Sometimes it's in the form of a trade. It's going to present us with, with something, something um, in the moment, in the immediate, but in giving into that, that immediate moment, we lose something better down the road. There's also the interest. We're not, I'm not trying to sell you a car, um, though this pattern might look like it. But there's the interest of temptation. Who's, who, in whose interest are you acting? Are we at being tempted to act? Here's the deal. In each of the temptations of Jesus, and in every temptation that we're going to be presented with, bottom line, in the end, it's a, it's an, it's a temptation to self-interest. Jesus, you will benefit from turning these stones into bread. Jesus, you will benefit from being in charge of, oh, others will too, but you're in charge. You make the rules. Jesus, you will benefit by skipping the sacrifice that you have to make in order to to receive what is rightfully yours. You will benefit. Listen, how do you know if you're being tempted? How do you know the right thing to do? Always ask yourself, who benefits? Who benefits if I do this? In whose interest am I acting? And lastly, there's the identity. Notice what, what uh, two times in the midst of this, and even in the second, the third one on the list is, is a temptation of identity as well. But Satan says to him, if you are,
then prove it. If you are the Son of God, it's up to you to prove it that you are. Now, for us, the temptation comes in the form of if you really are the Son of God, or a child of God, not the Son, if you really are a child of God, if, if, if you really are loved by God, he would give you this thing you want. If you really are loved by God, he wouldn't put you through the struggle that you're in. If you really are loved by God, he would give you the desires of your heart. There's always a temptation to identity. This is what's common in the temptation that we see in Jesus. This is what's common in that. But what did Jesus do? Don't miss this because you might be familiar with it or it might seem simple. But Jesus always responded with the truth the word, the scriptures. Again, if you've been around the church, if you've been around Christian places, you probably, like this may seem old hat, but then why do we spend so little time in the scriptures in our lives? For some we do, maybe we're, we're invested there, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. We know the lies of the tempter and the devil because we're, the truth is so embedded in us. This is what we see. When we think about Jesus and temptation, here's the thing we learn. Here's the thing we learn. Jesus was ready to withstand the temptation because he, knew the, he recognized those lies so quickly because he so knew the truth. The truth was almost reflexively pouring out of him. But in order to get there and do that and be that way, It requires us to actually invest there, to spend time there, and we'll be tempted absolutely not to. Listen, tomorrow, 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 you're going to know I should spend, you know what? Tom, he's got some, I don't don't agree with everything, but here's the deal. I know he's right. I know I need to spend some more time in the word. And you know what the temptation's going to be? I'm I'm just going to check I'm just going to check my Instagram first. I'm going to see what's happening on the Facebook first. Let's just be, let's just be honest. I'm going to see what else is going on out there. I'm, going to, I'm just going to check the weather on TV and four episodes of whatever show I'm binging now, like later, that's, I'm going to bed and I, you get it? And here's the deal. A uh, recent study, <laughs> I've shared this with some of those on the teaching team, but a recent study revealed something fascinating, okay? Something fascinating. Um, it's almost as if, like, what God tells us works. Um, those 40,000 Americans, 40,000 Americans in this study, it's a big number, okay? If we're talking about quantitative study, it's a big number. 40,000 Americans stud- surveyed, studied, okay, over, over a longer period of time. Um, and here's what they found. That Americans who read their Bible four times per week, I don't know what's magic about four. I really don't. But that was, that was what the study found. Four times per week. Are 57% more sober than those who don't. They struggle with alcohol less. They're 61% less likely to use pornography. They're 68% more likely to be faithful in their marriage. Now be, I want to be careful because here's the deal. That, that doesn't mean that everyone who reads their Bible, it's a formula to never sinning. Okay? 
But the pattern that we see in Jesus is true and real. That if we know God's word, we now have the equipment to stand up to the lies of the tempter. If we don't, we go into that battle unarmed and we'll give in. It's just a reality of life. So we came in this morning ready to talk about temptation in the end. Here's what we're going to talk about. Okay? Well, Ben talking about. We need to know the scriptures. We need to know the scriptures. We need to invest time in our lives in spending that time in the scriptures. It's where Jesus has spoken. He's told us, God has told us through the revelation of the Bible what it is that he has for us. It's why when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, he begins and he ends that with, with the, there is, there is the, the, the truth and there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Twice in that armor. To stand up to the schemes of the devil. The tempter. We have to, we have to read the scriptures. It's plain and simple. Without it, without it, we're going to fall. Let me close with this. Um, I'm, real, I'm, pretty, I'm sore today, like physically. Okay? <laughs> um, I did something yesterday that was ill-advised. I played 18 holes of golf, which doesn't sound all that bad, but I walked and I carried my clubs, which maybe 20 years ago wasn't all that bad, but I literally hurt from my little toe up to, like, I have a dull headache, okay? Like, I just don't feel good. <laughs> and that's not to... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not begging for an excuse for, like, why today might have been flat, more flat. I don't know. But that's just to say, like, oh, like, every time I sat still last night, I, the thought of getting up and moving again was just torture. Okay? And here's why. You could guess by looking at me what my fitness plan is. I consider getting mustard on my sandwich instead of mayonnaise a wise fitness decision. Okay. I struggled yesterday, and by the way, my golf was terrible. Um, like it was ruin and destruction. But, but like I struggled with this because I I'm not engaging in that area of my life. It's the same way with the scriptures. I, I don't. There's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. If we metaphorically lie around on the couch eating garbage all the time. When it comes time to walk 18 holes and carry your bag, it's ruin and destruction. You lose, which I did. My kids, like they're beating me at golf. Right? The scriptures are where God speaks so that we will know the devil's lies. And we can stand up to them. All right, let's pray. God, we're, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word gives us the opportunity to, to hear your voice. And Father, we, um, we say that we, we believe you. We believe that you are the truth, that you've, you've revealed yourself through the scriptures and through your son. And Jesus, we ask that your, your words, who you are, um, would be real to us, that we would find ourselves in in space where we need you. God, forgive us where, we, um, where we've put our own desires first. 
Show us. Prompt us. Tempt us with your righteousness. And Spirit, we ask for your help because we are weak. And you give us the very strength of God in our lives. And so we ask today that you would help us as we walk, that you would show us where we ought to go and what to do. And, and um, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.